Welcome. You're listening to the Bible Marathon Project, your one-stop class for learning Bible interpretation, defending your faith, using spiritual gifts, and building consistency in your devotion with God. We hope these sessions are a blessing to you as they have been to us. And without further ado, we say welcome to Vulnerability Sunday. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much. We give you praise, we give you glory, and we are full of thanksgiving because you are worthy of it all. You're worthy of all our praise and all our worship. We thank you for a day like this where we gather together as your family to discuss, to learn, to encourage one another as you've instructed us to do. Lord, we ask for insight today that as we go through this meeting, you open our eyes to see things we never saw before. You would bring us to a point of full joy in you, satisfaction and and happiness, true happiness that comes not from the world, but from knowing you, the one true God. Thank you, precious Father. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. All right. So at this point, I'm going to say welcome to... Um, Chelsea, Chelsea is going to take us on the very next thing here that we have. And so just before she comes up, I just want to ask, how many people read the book of James? All right. Awesome. Awesome. I mean, I was I was really encouraged. Today, I saw a lot of people in the group just punching, punching. I was like, okay, I read, read like last minute gang. So yeah, the last leg of the marathon, I guess, or whatever it is. But I'm so glad. The whole point is get into the scriptures. Um, you you might not see the the importance of what we're doing now, but I hope you will see it soon. Um, but I'm going to continue and make sure that everybody is as consistent as possible. All right, you know. So while we're doing this, if you know anyone, your accountability partners or whoever that should be here but is not, you know, try to invite them and let them know that we've started. All right, now I'm going to welcome Chelsea to the stage as she gives us the review of the book of James. Chelsea, over to you. Awesome. Thank you so much, Grimace. Good evening or good good afternoon, wherever everyone is. Um, first, I would just like to start by saying thank you so much, Grimace, for this platform. Honestly, it's so amazing, amazing this, just this vision and, you know, his passion that he has. So thank you so much for this platform. So yes, we're going to go right into um, just a quick review of the book of James. And so this book obviously was written by James, who is Jesus' brother. And a bit of background to this is that um, Peter left to go start um, a new church. And so James arose as a leader. And so he's writing to Messianic Jews or Christian Jews who were dispersed um, and spread abroad beyond the the Jerusalem church. And so the purpose of this book was to you know, right to Christians who are suffering, pe- suffering people who are living in poverty, people who were experiencing social and spiritual conflict, and right, and many were living in a way that was inconsistent with Jesus's teachings. And so James is trying to provide correction and trying to com- communicate to them essentially practical Christian living. And so he starts off in chapter one, telling them to count it all joy and that if they are, you know, facing trials, that it's the testing of their faith and that this produces patience and that the goal for them is to be mature and complete in their faith and that if anyone lacks wisdom, 
they can ask in faith and believe and they will see. And so in chapter two, James focuses on faith and deeds. And so he starts off by telling them here that they're not to show favoritism towards the rich and discriminate against the, the poor. But God has also chosen the poor to also inherit God's kingdom as well. And so true, what true obedience looks like is loving your neighbor as you love yourself and showing mercy towards others. And so he also talks about faith, you know, what works is that. And I just want to read a few scriptures because it just this, I, I would say in all the chapters, chapter two really stood out to me. But in um, from the verses 19 to 20, it reads, you believe that there is one God good. Even the demons believe that of each other. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Verse 26 reads, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. And so in this portion, he's really trying them, trying to get them to understand, hey, you can't just say I'm a Christian or in your mind, you know, think to yourself, okay, yes, I believe in Jesus Christ. He wants them to actually demonstrate their belief. What is the action that follows what you believe? And so lastly, he gives examples of people in the Bible who also demonstrated their faith as well, such as Abraham and Rahab. And so um, chapter three is the first part of it. It's focused on the tongue. And he, the tongue is such a small entity of a human being, but yet it can lead the whole entire body you know, into corruption that we learn to tame different things like as wild animals. And so he brings this contrast that, okay, yes, we bless God, yes, we praise him, but then at the same time, we rain curses on our others. And so he also gives them this example, saying that can fresh water and salt water come from the same spring, because he wants them to really think about their, their actions and their speech and realize that their speech must, you know, reflect someone who is saved, someone who has actually received this gospel. And so the end of chapter three and chapter four focus on um, selfishness and also yielding to God. And so he starts off by telling us to not walk in selfishness. Truism comes from God and are to seek peace with their fellow brothers and sisters. And fights and quarrels come as a result of selfish desires that they have. And that if they have any needs, they are to ask God and draw near to him and humility and that he alone will exalt, exalt them. And lastly, he tells them that if they have any plans, to not just make plans and not involve God, but to involve God in their plans. And so the last chapter focuses on um, endurance and instruction. And here he starts off by warning those who are rich. He tells them that, hey, you've spent your lives in luxury. You've spent it in, in indulging in you know, self-pleasures. And your end results, you know, when the day of judgment comes, you're going to be loved. He also tells Christians to patiently look towards the Lord's coming and that, you know, to exercise patience and that although they're suffering, they're to, um, you know, count everything as joy and to count them, themselves as, as blessed. And that Job also, yes, he went through tough times as well, but God was compassionate and merciful. And that if they're going through um, 
tough times there to pray. If they're happy, seeing if someone is sick, you know, to pray, to call the others to pray, and that as they pray and offer up these prayers in faith, and as being a righteous individual, it makes tremendous power available. And he lastly concludes by telling them if any sinners to come back to the church, they are to welcome those who fall um, back into the house. And so overall, the focus of this book, you know, what he's trying to communicate is that you have to actually demonstrate your faith, right? And you do this through your speech, through your conduct, through your attitude, and just your everyday way of life in general. So yeah, that is a summary of the book of James. I hope I wasn't talking too fast and you all were able to catch everything. No, that was amazing. Thank you so much for that summary. I think there's just a little problem with the, the microphone, so it was cracking a bit. But I think most people got what you were saying, right? Can I have a witness? Um, that you did hear what she said. Okay, so what would happen Yeah, yeah is I did. Uh, you did. did, okay. Just for those who didn't hear, I think Chelsea would send maybe a... Um, you could forward the you know, the WhatsApp uh, message of your, of your summary to the group, maybe. And then that would help people who didn't get to hear anything. Um, all right. So that was, that was so good. I, see, I really want to encourage us to read through the scriptures. When we say read the book of James during the week, set out time. You can. You know, I like I was saying jokingly on the group, I don't want to start enforcing stuff like... Um, Read your Bible. Um, I said something funny. Operation Bible before Netflix. Um, I don't even need to say that. That doesn't even make sense. Like, there shouldn't be a competition. You know, um, this is the Word of God. It's what builds us up. So you want to give time to it. So for those of you who have read it, I'm sure. Like for me, I mean, I've read it severally, and it just keeps convicting me. Especially the the chapter on. on uh, okay, that's a good one. BBB. Bible before breakfast. I mean, that's 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 what I do personally. So that's a good idea. Just make sure that the first thing you start with, start your day with, is the Word of God. If you're super tired, like I am sometimes, when I just get up and I can't do anything and I can't really like even open the scriptures, I just p take my phone and I play the audio Bible by Streetlights. They're so amazing. So I just listen. See, you want to have an inflow of the Word of God every single day, just like food. You don't say, oh, I don't feel like eating today. And then tomorrow, I don't feel like eating today. And then the third day. It's not about how you feel. It's about sustenance. If you don't, if you keep going that way, you will die. Same thing with the word. You won't die physically without the word of God. But you would be, you would leave your spirit so malnourished. Because God's word is what preserves you. God's word is what keeps you. All right. So that's my encouragement to you. Keep studying God's word. All right. Whew. All right. So today I have something very, very interesting to talk about. And this, this, this title might be misleading and it's intentional and you'll find out why shortly. But I want to say that if you pay close attention to what I want to share with you today, if you pay really good attention, it will change your life. I'm not exaggerating. It would change. <laughs> it will change a lot of things. So I want you to pay close attention, careful attention, right? There are things I'm going to be saying 
that will minister to your heart. There will, there will be specific instructions to you. Take them, all right? Um, there will be things that you might not even be comfortable hearing, but, you know, brace yourself and get ready for it. But today is just an introduction to what Vulnerability Sundays will look like. You know, God has taken us on a journey so far. The first week was on hermeneutics, hermeneutics Sunday, where we get to learn how to interpret the Bible. And we have so many things coming up to teach, to teach you on that. And then we, we had, uh, apologetics Sunday, which this past, this month, this is the last day of the month. Beautiful. Um, man, God has been faithful. I have something I want to share. I, I hope I don't forget, but let me just keep going. Um, accountability, uh, sorry. Um, uh, Apologetics Sunday, we, we studied on defending the faith, how to defend the, the, the gospel and why it is important, right? And then last week, we had a guest. We had Ope. I was so blessed listening to him and where he just taught us about the gifts and the power of the Holy Spirit and how we should desire spiritual gifts earnestly. It's a command. It's an instruction. So it's not something some denominations should want and some others don't need. It's Jesus instruction. You will lay hands on the sick, they will recover. These signs will follow you, right? And you know, there was a giveaway and congrats to all the winners who participated in all the giveaways. And then we are here. And this is called Vulnerability Sunday. But it only makes sense to really get why this is called Vulnerability Sunday. So my job today is just to bring you on a journey with me, build a foundation from the word of God. And then open your eyes to see how important this is. This is super important. And I think the, the kingdom of darkness knows this more than we do, more than the church. They understand this principle and they use it so powerfully. It just changes everything. And we need to understand these things ourselves. So I want you to pay attention. I keep repeating that. Um, on a side note, God has been very, very good to us. So. Remember last week we prayed about uh, that young lady who got missing, right? Um, she's back, safe, uh, healed and hearty, no issues whatsoever. So God has been faithful. And within the course of this month, just in Bible Marathon alone, we've had so many job-related testimonies. I'm like, I know, I know at the beginning of this month, this year, like when I was praying, I knew that they were, were going to have testimonies, but I didn't know it was going to be this much. Um, but it's, it's, <laughs> it's crazy. Like six, six different job related things. So one was a promotion. The others were job offers, um, and actual job, like accepted job offers, basically. And, and with, with good pay. So like God is really kind. God is really kind. So. Um, and for those of you who threw in your prayer requests during the prayer basket, just know that we prayed for you and I'm still going to pray for you today. I know some came in again. I'm going to stay up tonight and pray for some of you. Um, please, let's participate. God gave me this vision for a reason and I don't want to joke with it because if God says do something and you go to do it, everything that you need is supplied. So that's the thing. And every everyone who is a part of what God is doing benefits from that. So I just really want you guys to stay and be faithful. All right. So like I said, what I want to share with you is super important. And so I'm going to take us 
to the scriptures right now. So can we all go to Matthew chapter 16? Matthew chapter number 16. Uh, let's do that. And something here is something something amazing is happening here. So I want someone to read verse 13. Matthew 16, 13. Um, and I don't want to forget those of you on Mixler. I see you. All right. All right. Who's going to who's gonna read this for me? I'll do it. Thank you. Um, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea, Caesarea, Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Right. Just pause there for a moment. So pay attention. Jesus comes to the coast of Caesarea and he says to his disciples, imagine him stopping and seeing his disciples and saying, who do men say that I am? Who do people say that I am? You know, it matters what you say about Jesus. It matters what you know about Jesus. So the question is very intentional, you know, and, and it's interesting. Um, many people, many people have an opinion about Jesus, as we'll see in the next verse, right? So can you continue, Ugo? From verse 14. They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Pause. Thank you. So <laughs> I think the funniest thing here is when they said John the Baptist. Because John the Baptist was there. <laughs> he baptized him. So how how um interesting is your mind you know just so creative that you can think that jesus himself is john the baptist when you saw both of them there you know but that's that's really funny but you see different people have different opinions you know and, and this makes me even think every religion today has something to say about jesus every, an element of truth right you go to islam and they call him a prophet you go to hinduism and he's also a great teacher you go to another faith there's always something about Jesus everywhere. And I think that's even a powerful statement to the fact that we are serving the true God. Um, because every religion has something to say about Jesus. That's, that's impressive. So some are false, some are true. But everyone has an opinion. But look at what happens in the next verse. Jesus says, okay, that's what everybody is saying. But who do you say that I am? Right? Who do you say that I am? And Ugo, I want you to read verse 16 for me. Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, hmm. the son of the living God. That's, that's amazing. So this is someone, a disciple of Jesus that had been following him for a bit, seen all the miracles he'd been doing. I mean, don't think it's because he had extraordinary faith. No, these guys ran away when Jesus was arrested. These guys disappeared from every. They went to hide when Jesus was finally killed and buried. So don't think, oh, he's so spiritual. Because Jesus is going to tell him something. But he said, you are the Christ. You are Christos. Son of the living God. And Jesus replied. I want you to just read it wherever you are. Don't, you don't need to unmute yourself. But I want you to read this together with me. One to go. Jesus replied. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. 
That's amazing. And so Jesus is basically saying, hey, this thing you said, it's a big foundation, but you didn't get it by human wisdom. Don't think it was by your observation. Don't think it was because you were intelligent or something. No, God revealed this truth to you. And then he says this. He says, and I tell you that you are Peter. So Simon Peter, his name is was also called Cephas, I think, and in the Greek, which means rock. And so Jesus was using an um, a metaphor right here to say, this thing you said is so synonymous with your name. Pay attention, because a lot of people misunderstand this. I think this is even why the Catholic faith has built the papacy around this verse, and they miss the point. The point is, is this. He says, and I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, see how it's playing with words because Peter or Cephas means rock. On this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell or Hades will not overcome it. I want a smart person to tell me what, what is that rock? What is that rock a metaphor for? Who has a guess? The Salvation. Okay, you're you're on the right track. I love that. I heard the message. I heard salvation. And I said, yeah. like what he, like what Peter said exactly the previous. Right. Week. Good. Who's that? Who who is speaking? Eloa. Okay. Awesome. So let's take you back a little bit. Peter said something. He said in verse sixteen, "You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God." So it's on this foundation, in this revelation, this truth. That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's what the church is built on. That's so important. So he's and, and this is this is so important that Paul, Paul says a prayer in um Ephesians chapter chapter one from verse 17. He says, You know, I I, I pray that your eyes, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know the hope of his calling. You will know the glory of the riches of his inheritance and the saints, you know, and the exceeding power um, to us word who believe. That same power that raised Christ from the dead and has set him on, on high with, with, with God. So think about this, that it's not just enough to have mental assent. It's not just enough to have an observatory response. But then there is a revelation that you have to receive. And that's exactly what John, um, Peter received right there. The revelation that Jesus is the Christ, son of the living God. Think about this. See, this is huge. Son of the living God. Deuteronomy chapter 6, what does it tell us? Right? Nobody had the idea that there was a son. <laughs> they just thought God, that was it. God has no sons. In fact, the Islamic faith, makes that claim. God has no sons, cannot have children because they're thinking intellectually, right? That's it. That's an intellectual perspective. But Revelation says God has a son and his name is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the son of the living God. That's powerful. And why is this important? And why is Paul's prayer important? Because you, your eyes need to be enlightened to this. It's a revelation. It's not a logical conclusion. It's a revelation. Praise God. So this is so important. But what else does this tell us? If God is the Father, 
Jesus is the son, we're seeing something. We're seeing something right here. And I want to bring your attention to that thing. So I'm going to Romans. Follow me. I'm building. I'm building. Take notes. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And I need someone to read for me from verse 14. I can read. Go ahead. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Verse 15. Verse 15, for you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Ah, oh dear Lord. This is a powerful text. Um, and these, these, these are verses that excite me. Because one thing is, you can read some verses and they just, you know, okay, that's a beautiful verse. But when you see what he, the message there, it changes everything. This is this is Paul writing. He says, "You this, those that are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God." So, there are people who are led by the Spirit, and they are called sons, children. Basically, the word "sons." I taught you in the first um, hermeneutic Sunday that the old, the way the Old Testament and old writings were, the language at the time when it was going to re- refer to man and woman, it would use a unifying term, right? Sons, um, just like you know, God created Adam or created man is in image man they represent both adam and eve right so don't get lost here when you say you're a son of god you can be a lady and and say you're a son of god and be accurate based on language all right so don't let that trip you up but he says you've been called you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear but he says you've received the spirit of sonship king james says you've received the spirit of adoption in other words You've been brought into a family and that family has a father that you can call Abba. What does Abba mean? Abba is like a, an endearing term for, for a father. So you can call your dad father, like all these British people. Father, mother, all this kind of stuff. But when you want to use it, an endearing term, you say daddy, dad, pops, right? That's exactly what Abba is here. Abba. It's like a, it's a direct call to a father. He's a real father. And so Paul is saying, hey, you have been called into a fellowship, a relationship, but even deeper, you've been called to a family whose father is your daddy. Praise Jesus. This is huge. This is so important because a lot, a lot of people have weird views about God, and it shows. It shows in how they relate with Him. You know, I, I don't want to. I, I know I might offend some people, but like I said, <laughs> I think that's inevitable. So I don't really care. But I'll be very, very careful. You know, a lot of people we don't relate to God like a father or like a daddy, more specifically. So you have you have people who just you know think that God is up there and because you've not been faithful in your giving or tithing or whatever you've chosen to do, God looks at the records and says, ah, Tobo, Tobo has not been paying um, offerings. So, ah, oh, and this Amdroba is coming to his house. There's nothing we can do. He's not faithful enough. He's not you know, paying his giving. He's not doing all of that. So people have an idea of God being someone who b- brings devourers to destroy all that you have. But just your natural 
understanding of a father. And and mind you, get me, not everybody has the perfect example of a father here on this earth. And I agree, I understand that. But it's you need to realize that God is a perfect father. Perfect father. So if you here on this call or anyone listening to me right now, maybe don't, you don't have such a good relationship with your father, right? Or to the other extreme of people who just feel like my dad is the best dad in the world. There is nothing that compares to my dad. He's just like the best of the best and you know all of that stuff. God is greater. God is a better father. All right. He's he's the more caring daddy. That's the revelation God wants us to have. And so that should reflect in how you relate with him. It should <laughs> it should it should show in how you pray. For example, there are a lot of people, you know, ah, I'm about to shoot another <laughs> that gun here. Um, you know, some of you have default settings when it comes to prayer, right? You just have certain things. Some of you can know what I'm talking about, right? You know, some of you say everlasting father, rock of ages, king of kings. <laughs> it's like you're rapping. Or um, there's some other, I don't know, who can help me? There's some other things people say when they want to pray. It just feels so unreal. It's like how your alarm plays the same thing every time or the elevator music is the same. That's how it is with so many people. You don't relate to God like a father. I mean, how many of you go to your dad and you're like, um, my daddy and my my father. I'm here because um, thou shalt wilt. <laughs> you start using all King James English all of a sudden. So what happens is that your relationship with God becomes very transactional. It becomes very very unemotional. You know, some of you should just have a prayer culture of saying, just you can start your prayer with a sigh, like ah. <sighs> You know, Daddy, I love you. Thank you for your, you know, and you, if you have the word of God, you won't say nonsense. I promise you will say the scriptures, but it will be real. It will be it will be relational, not transactional, because a lot of people just have things they say. They don't think about it. You know, that's why I'm so adverse to, to what they call the Lord's Prayer. I stay away from it as much as possible because Jesus wasn't teaching them. This is how you should pray word for word. Rather, I was saying this is what prayer should look like. So it's a template. They said, teach us how to pray. But people have taken it to become a norm. So our Father who art in heaven, you start singing songs with it, you know. But that's not it. That's not it. God wants you to understand what he's teaching in the Lord's Prayer is our Father. Meaning, I have a Father that you share with me. We're in the same family. He's in heaven. He's hallowed. His kingdom is coming and now has come because at the time his kingdom had not come. But Christ died, was buried, rose from the dead. And now the kingdom has come. The Bible tells us the Holy Spirit is here. The kingdom of God is here. Hallelujah. And then he says, you know, your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, and then he says the other things talking about how we should make our requests known to God. Give us this day our daily bread. So bring your requests to God. You know, and forgive other people just as you've been forgiven, you know, and then, you know, help receive strength to avoid temptation. So Jesus is giving them a template of how to pray, not exactly the words, but what we have today. People who are basically disobeying Jesus's words in Matthew 6, 
to avoid vain repetition when you pray. That's what a lot of Hebrew, um, I mean, Jews at the time did. Repeated prayer without the mind. So they don't, they just recite things and they don't think about what they're saying. That's what Jesus is trying to correct. And a lot of people are falling into that. But the revelation here is God is your father. Can you say this with me? God is my father. God is my daddy. You know, and even for those of you who this would apply to even more specifically, say, God is not my earthly father. He is my heavenly father. That's so profound. That's such a revelation. And some, some of you might still be receiving this just as just as words, I I pray right now, and I pray with my the depth of my heart that you you get to understand the implications of God being your Father. Let me show you something. Let me show you something. Ephesians. Thank you, Lord. Ephesians chapter three from verse fourteen. You can learn a lot from the Pauline prayers. You can learn a lot, and and that's. I mean, that's going to be my challenge. Next week, we're reading, this week rather, we're reading uh, two books, all right? Very short books, and I'll reveal that to you shortly. But I want you to have this approach. When you read the writings of an apostle, pay attention to what they're saying. Don't skim over it. Don't skip over it. They're very instructive things here. So Ephesians chapter 3 from verse 14. I need someone to help me read this. You gotta be bold. Thank you. For this Go reason, ahead. I kneel. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. Okay. Then look at verse fifteen. From whom this whole family in heaven and and on earth d- derives its name? Huh. This is huge. This is huge. Let me let me interpret this for you. Let me help you see what it's saying. Sorry, there's a mic that's on. Okay, I turned that off. Thank you for reading that. It says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family. So we see the Father. Paul is kneeling to the Father, his daddy. And he says, From whom his whole family. We see the word family being used in heaven and on earth. So you have siblings in heaven. You have a family in heaven as you do on earth. So you're all named by God, who is your father. In other, in other words, you have his last name. That's really what he's saying. You're in a family. He says in heaven and on earth derives its name. You've got your name from God. <laughs> These are things to fill your mind with. You're no longer just a common man. You're now if in the family of God, he has called you to be his, you, you have the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. We cry, Daddy. It's not, it's, not, it's not outside. We're not outside. We're inside. We're in a family. And so that's the revelation we need to get. It's the revelation of the fatherhood of God. The revelation that Christianity is a family affair. <laughs> she said, Ayolva Yahweh. <laughs> Praise God. Christianity is a family affair. It's a family affair. So how do you talk to him? How do you relate with him? But even more importantly, 
Because now you have a father, you're in your family, you have many siblings. Oh, this is this is this is huge. This is what I want to really focus on. You know, a lot of people have missed this huge truth that you don't just have a relationship vertically with God. You have a horizontal relationship with your siblings. With your siblings. You have a relationship with brothers and sisters who have put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You have become part of the family of God. And the implications of, oh, the implications are massive. Let me even show you another text that will help. Uh, uh, Hebrews, just to hammer this point in. Hebrews chapter 12. And I'm going to read this because it's quite a lot of verses. Hebrews chapter 12 from verse 19. Hebrews chapter 12 from verse 19. I'm hoping you're following. I know I know. I have stuff on the screen um, which helps everyone. But as much as possible, make this a study time too. So if you have your physical Bible with you, you know, highlight stuff, underline stuff, so you remember. Okay, I'm going to read this. So Hebrews, oh, how many of us were here when we did a study of Hebrews? That was last year. We really went into the book of Hebrews. It was it was exciting. Okay, um, let's go on. It says, and the sound of a trumpet. So just backstory, he's talking about you know, compa- comparing the old covenant with the new. The old covenant, you know, there was fire and brimstone and there was a mountain that could not be touched. Um, you know, there was, it was just, there was blackness and darkness and tempest and all of that stuff. And the sound of a trumpet is what this verse, verse is saying now. And the voice of words, which they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. They were there. The Israelites were like, ha, this voice is too much for us to handle. We don't want to hear God's voice anymore. It was scary. Imagine a mountain. There's thunder and lightning all at the top. And God speaks and everyone is running to hide. Man, God is is big. But then he's trying to tell you that there's a shift. They saw God as this distant, fiery, furnace, angry, wrathful God. And they had every reason to see him that way because that's what happens when you have no 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 freedom no deliverance sin has ruled your heart and you're dealing with a perfectly holy god <laughs> you're going you that's all you're going to see you know because god is pure we've talked about this in the attributes of god but he tells us something that has changed for us but let's go on it says for they could not endure that which was commanded. So they couldn't even enjoy the commandments, the, the, the law. They couldn't, they couldn't do it. They couldn't perform it perfectly. And it says, and if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. That was very scary times. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. <laughs> so not only were the Israelites afraid, Moses himself called by God, right? Did all these mighty works, split the Red Sea, turned the water into blood, did all these plagues and all these things, you know, wonders and signs. He himself was scared. You know, you would think that Moses had a relationship with God that did not involve fear. But what are we seeing here? Moses himself was afraid. So they knew him as God. But look at something. He tells us, you are come, oh, glory to God. 
but you are come unto Mount Zion. So he's comparing the mountain that brought that brought justice and another mountain. It's called Mount Zion. And unto the city of the living God. So there's a city. And then it's called the heavenly Jerusalem. And it says, to an innumerable company of angels. So your family in this, I mean, in this city of the living God, there are countless number of angels. That's amazing. You know, picture that. Then he says to the general assembly. Oh, this is beautiful. Let me, let me. Um show you in, in, in the good news translation. Oh, glory to God. It says you have come to the joyful gathering of God's firstborn. Right. Look at look at it in, in the ESV. The assembly of the firstborn. You see the term there. Um I want to put up another translation. Just I want you to get this gist. Look at NLT. You have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children whose names are writ- written in heaven. So you have a family. That's the point he's making. He's saying Jesus Christ is the firstborn from the dead. And, and, and there's a whole teaching on that. And I just want to quickly do that real quick. Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose from the dead. Now, every one of us will be raised from the dead, just like he was, you see. And when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, there is the immediate um, revelation or the immediate happening where we are raised together with Christ, right? So it's a now reality, but there's also a future reality that if you die on, on the earth, you will be raised to life by that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. So there's that dual truth. But one thing you need to realize is that Jesus is the prototype, the firstborn. Whatever Jesus did, we did with him that's that's a teaching for another day but just see the implications that you've been you're now you're now in an assembly in a family of god's firstborn children so when god sees jesus and he sees you he says these are my children oh glory to god so we're in a family we're in a family and the 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 beautiful thing here is this Take a look at your your Zoom call right now. I don't know how you're seeing it, but the name just right below you, whether on the participants or the chat or wherever it is that you see, that person be below you or above your name, if they've put their faith in Jesus Christ, they're your siblings. The bond that you have, there is no bond greater and deeper than the bond that you have with that person. You might not feel it, it's almost like um, <laughs> this um, show as a movie. Who has watched Parent Trap? Uh, I think it was a Disney movie with this girl, uh, Lindsay Lohan, right? And, you know, they, they were siblings, but they were separated. And then, I mean, they were even twins to, to even go further. And then eventually they meet each other and they're like, wow, wow, we look alike. So that, I feel like that's the situation. With a lot of believers, you don't realize that the person next to you is even so, so connected to you in such a way that you could never be connected to your own family, your own earthly family. This is a bigger bond. 
you don't you you're you, i mean you might have a blood relationship i mean that's the whole idea of family right so you have a blood relationship with your siblings your father your mother that's not an exception in christian faith in the christian faith you are also bound by blood there is a blood link and that blood is the blood of jesus christ did you didn't you hear the bible when it said you were bought with a price You've been bought by blood. You are a, you are adopted. You are part of the family, and it's a deeper bond. Just like Darren said, he's calling. He said, "Hello, brother Ernest and sister Chelsea." And you know, there are denominations that would use that term "brother" before the word, because they what they want to do is to kind of teach your mind to realize that hey, you are in a you are in a family relationship with this person. So you see, brother Ernest, brother this, sister that. But even if you don't use the term brother or sister, at the back of your mind, understand that you are in a family. You're in a family. And that means that your, your heart should be softened to everyone, to anyone that is saved. Whether it's here, whether it's in another country. You know, you know how it is where, you know, how you bond with... For example, when I came to the U.S., you know, I came and I didn't have any family per se here in the state I came to. So I was just trying to find my way, you know, and then I got to UT Dallas, the school I went to, and I looked around and I mean, it's not like I'm very conscious of race, but just in internally, I just didn't feel so comfortable. I mean, everyone else was just either Asian or Caucasian or just another race. And I was like, what do I do here? You know? And then one moment, the best moment ever. I saw someone that looked like me. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, finally, I can get, like, you know, get to know what's happening here, get directions on how to go somewhere. And then I reach out to the guy. I'm like, hey, what's up? And then not only is he black, he's Nigerian. So before we knew, we we're already talking, you know, almost like pigeon and we're relating, like, ah, how far? What's up? Okay, okay. Uh, you know, they, there's a bond, it's a family bond. And even though that may not be a perfect example, but you get what I mean. When you see any other believer in Christ Jesus, you are, you have the same daddy. You have the same father. The relationship is deeper. It's stronger than anything else. And that, that means that you should have, in fact, there are certain things. I dare say this. There are certain things you can tell your Christian brothers and sisters that your family might not even know about because it's a bigger, stronger bond. Praise the name of Jesus. This is profound. Your, your heart should be softened to anyone else that is saved. That's what we saw in the early church. That's what we saw in the early church. In fact, Jesus, Jesus wanted us to get the idea of family and membership and love and just what we have in, 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 in Christianity. And he says this in Luke chapter 11. Let's go there. Luke chapter 11 from verse 27. So, real quick, because of time. Jesus is speaking, as he usually does. He's preaching and he's like, you know, saying stuff. And as he's speaking, look at what happens. Luke eleven twenty-seven. Let me read from the NKJV. It just flows better. <laughs> Everyone is calling 
everyone, brother, sister. Please, I'm not the one that taught you that. I just told you. I mean, if if Lillian and Lillian is my sister, amen, right? But if um I were to call Lillian and we're like biological siblings, I wouldn't say sister Lillian. I mean, it's it's a, now it's a. I think in Nigeria it's a cultural thing where you know you have a sibling older than you, so you have to put that title, right? But I mean, just let's not make it too awkward. But feel free because we're used to it. I'm just saying that so that you know that it's not it's it's a cultural thing. All right, praise God. Hope you got what I was saying there. Um, Jesus is preaching in Luke 11, and look at this, verse 27. And it happened as he spoke these things that a certain woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts which nursed you. So imagine a woman shouting out loud when Jesus is speaking, like because she's so touched. She's like, ah, your mama, your mama is the best. Like your mama born you well, like in, in, in local parlance. You know, your mom, she's just so special, you know, and, you know, he's refer- she, she was referring to Mary, right? And I feel like there's, there's a group of people who need to see this text and see what Jesus said. I'm not going to say more than that. But they're praising Jesus' mom that she's so, she's so amazing. She's so special. Look at Jesus' response. And of course she is, all right? That there's a balance to it. She is. It's so. It's such a privilege to be chosen to nurse the one who will save you. I mean, my brother did a spoken word, and he said, "I mean, I mean, I don't know if he's the author of this statement. I think it's in a song. He says the 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 face you kissed is the face that cre- uh, created you, um, and that the the um the child you delivered will soon deliver you. That um." Man, I've forgotten how he said it, but yeah, that's uh, that's the truth that we must embrace. Mary was special; she was highly favored by God. But look at Jesus's response. Hi, <laughs> just look at Jesus's response. He says, "Yeah, that's the song, Mary. Did you know? Yeah, but he used it in the spoken word. That's why I remembered." Um, then he look at this. Jesus replied, "More than that." Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Huh. So in other words, he's saying it's more than just a natural connection. Oh, my mom, she's so blessed. Yes. But even more blessed are those who hear me and listen to me. That's his disciples, his children, the children of God, his siblings. There was even another time um, someone was like, you know, blessed. Um, so No, Jesus was preaching. He was somewhere. And then someone came and said, I think it was a disciple, and said, ah, your mom is looking for you. She's outside. Your, your mom and your brothers are looking for you. And Jesus is like, who's my mother and who's my brother? <laughs> Jesus said that. He's like, who's my brother? Who's my mother? But these people that you see I'm talking to, these are my brothers, my mother, my my siblings. So Jesus had this understanding. He was already communicating the idea of family. And so I'm telling you guys, the people on this call right now, they are your family. They are your they are supposed to be dead. You should have friends amongst amongst 
Christians. You know, I, I wonder how how many people do it. How I don't know how people do it. You know, let me say it this way. Many, many habits in your life will die once you change your associations. That's how. If you, if you knew the importance of the people that are in your inner circle, your family, it would change your life. Things will leave you. Because I, I, I don't know, some people, some people, the friends you have, the only thing they can do is cry when you have issues. Some of you don't have friends that will initiate prayer. They will, you know, you tell them your problems. You know, you, ah, ah, sister, sister Linda, I don't know. I've, ah, ah. It shouldn't even be sister Linda. It would just be Linda because they are friends. And then you tell, you're you telling her your troubles and everything. And she's just there to cry with you. She's not there to encourage you with the word. She's, you need to have friends. Friends that will pick you up. Friends that will, when you are, you are, you're in a fault, you do something wrong. They, they are bold enough to grab you and say, hey, that's not what you should be doing. You know? But what do we have today? We have Christians. You're a guy. And the friends that you have, you go out with them and all your male friends, they have their girlfriends sitting on their laps. They are drinking. That, that's your friend. Those are your friends. And you might look at Ernest and say, Ernest, you are judging. No, I'm saying that you are just setting yourself up. You're setting yourself. If your best friend, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to be stepping on some shoes here, but I'm doing it because it's the will of God. It's God's word. If your best friend is a non-believer, there's a problem. It says a lot. <laughs> it says a whole lot. Your best friend is a non-believer. That the very thing that saved you, the very thing that you live for, the very thing that your life is supposed to be about, Christ, what he did, his work, his vicarious sacrifice, your redemption, your, your new body, your hope, your eternity. You don't share with that person you call a best friend. What are you doing? What are you doing? <sighs> a word is enough for the wise. Go and ref- see, and that's what I said at the beginning of this year, page 2021. That sh- I said this year, you have to be very, very attentive of the company you keep. It will make or it will break you. Especially if you are struggling with lust, you're struggling with an addiction, you're struggling with something that it's not natural. It's not natural in your Christian life. You're not supposed to be experiencing that because God has given you victory in Christ. But you still see those things. It's because of this association. Imagine if your three friends are prayer warriors. You'll be the fourth prayer warrior. It's, it's, it's the law of association. If you have studious friends, you will be studious. Even if you feel weak to study. You know, you would you would be gingered at some point. You just be like, "Why am I doing this with my life?" See my friends, and that's the kind of encouragement you need. Not the one that you you are the most spiritual person. All your friends they say stuff, they joke about Christianity, and you can't say anything. And you are there, and you are just smiling. And before you know it, from not accepting what the things they were doing, like ah, don't talk about Jesus like that. You are now in a place where they say a joke, and you are laughing. How did you get there? Psalms 1, verse 1, right? Verse 1 to 3. Blessed is the man who does not stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful, or, I mean, walk in the... There's that whole 
movement thing there. <laughs> but the whole idea is you're not supposed to be seated with those who scorn, who mock, who make mockery of the very thing that you are about. So make friends within the family. Your spiritual sisters and brothers should be your best friends. You should have a relationship with them. That's the whole point of accountability partners. That's the whole point of everything we're trying to do. See, until we get this, this is why the, the kingdom of darkness is, is winning. There should be no need in the body of Christ. If somebody on this group has an issue, I should be the answer to that prayer. Nobody should be out of school if I have the ability to keep them in school. Don't you understand? The early church in, in the book of Acts there was a time that the Bible says they had all things in common. <laughs> they had all things in common, meaning I, what I have is yours. You know how siblings just come and they come to your room and say, I'm taking your dress. Some of you know what I'm talking about. They just walk in and I'm wearing your dress tomorrow, except you are this uptight sister <laughs> that doesn't share her dress. Or maybe you just don't have the same um, stature. But you know what I'm talking about? Let me read something to you real quick as we begin to round up. Uh, I think it's Mark. This just came to mind. Mark, are you, are you learning anything today? Let me know. Mark chapter 10 from verse 20. Verse 27. Oh, glory to God. Whew. Are you learning anything? I'm not hearing any feedback. I hope I've been, my voice has been loud all this well. Okay, okay. Or maybe you're just not talking because I'm really offending you. But if, if I'm offending you, I'm sorry. It's, it's not intentional. <laughs> Praise God. Oh, change your, change your association. Your, your best friend should be in the church. Your best friends, your, your confidants should be in the body of Christ. And so right now, your mind should be stirred up to think, you know, okay, so Ernest is saying these things. Um, who who are those people? And some of those friends are here. And, and here's the thing. Here's the beautiful thing. As you see all of us here, right? We're not perfect. We have a perfect father. And we have a God who is committed to reforming us, to sanctifying us, to cleansing us. And his agent of cleansing is the church. Ah, you didn't get that. And I think I think I need to teach on this another time. But let's go to this text. So Mark 10 from verse 27. It says, but Jesus looked at them and said, with, with men, it is impossible. And this is based on, you know, a, a, um, a man came to Jesus and said, hey, you know, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he says, oh, okay, you see what, what did Moses tell you to do? Did you do all those things? And then he's like, oh, I've done all those things from my youth. And Jesus is like, wow, okay. He loved him so much because he kept the law, right? That's something that is, the law of God is beautiful, is, is perfect. So he saw someone who, was keeping the law. He says, wow. He says, but there's one thing you lack, <laughs> which is the main issue. He said, sell all that you have, right? And the next thing that happens is that the Bible says that his countenance changed. He just all of a sudden looked sad. 
and he walked away. He didn't follow Jesus. Because Jesus said, you know, sell all you have, take up your cross, follow me. Not knowing that Jesus is the treasure. He's bigger than all the wealth you could ever have. But this guy missed it because he was looking at what he possessed. And Jesus, you know, was sad for this guy. And you know what he told his disciples? He said, it's hard for anyone to enter the kingdom of God if they have wealth. So he said, it is hard for those who are rich to enter the kingdom of God. What did he mean? He's saying that your wealth can be a hindrance. Your trust in your riches can keep you away from receiving the true riches that are in Christ. Man, and but let's stick to the topic here. And so that's what, you know, that's the context that leads to Mark chapter 10 from verse 27. But Jesus looked at them and said, because they were like, how can anyone be saved? Because <laughs> like, what? It's so hard. It's so hard for a, um, how did you say it? For, for a, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man <laughs> to enter the kingdom of God. So they're like, ah, how do we, how are we going to be saved? And then he says, with men, it is impossible. It is impossible, sorry. But with God, all things are possible. And then, Look at what he says. And this is this is why context is important when you study the scriptures. So Peter, the loud mouth amongst them, says, See, we have left everything and followed you. We're not like that guy that just left you right now. Like we really left everything. There was a time Jesus did a miracle. They were fishing. And he says, Hey, leave your nets. For now you'll be fishers of men. The Bible says they left their nets and they followed him. So Peter is like, We are following you. We are your disciples. And then Jesus tells them this. And this is something, this is a text that people have misunderstood. It's so annoying. If you don't read in context, you, uh, one of my favorite teachers said, if you don't read in context, you will be conned by the text. <laughs> That's so good. And it's so true because you just read a verse in isolation and you miss the story. So now you get why Peter is like, see, we followed you. We're not like that guy. And then, Jesus is trying to tell him, hey, you made a good choice. Don't feel like because you left your source of income or you left something that is precious to you and you followed me that you lose everything. So Jesus tells him, he said, assuredly, meaning verily, verily, surely. So this is by my, by my oath. <laughs> I say to you, there is none who has left house. Pay attention. You've, there's none who has left house or brothers or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake and the gospels. Hmm. So he's saying, there is none who has left all these things that are precious to you, sucking earthly now, biological. And then he says, who shall not who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time? And you see why I said a lot of people misinterpret this scripture. Because what is on their mind when they see this text is, um, if we let go of all those things, God will bless us with um, hundredfold of money, hundredfold of all of that stuff. But pay attention to what this text is saying. It says, who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time? So here in this life, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children 
and lands with persecution. <laughs> so you know what he's talking about. He's saying you leave what is precious to you to follow Christ. In this life, you will have hundredfold, meaning hundred more houses, hundred more brothers. What is he talking about? The family of God, believers. It means that Buki, for example, can walk into any house that belongs to a believer and sleep there. <laughs> I'm serious. Someone, like, you can go, that's the, that's the, the kind of tight knittedness that we ought to have. That we share all things. That we are family. We are close. But in the church today, we don't have this anymore because everyone is a visitor. Everyone, you get to a, a church, you are sitting in this in the service. The next person to you is like from an alien from another nation. Whereas God's idea of family is, of, of the church, is a family. So I should know you. We should know each other. We should be in our lives. This, there's a big heresy that is running out there that people are saying your salvation is personal. It's between you and God. You don't read your Bible. It's not. It is first between you and God in a salvific sense, but then it relates to your family, your be believers and sisters in Christ. That's why the Bible says in First John that we read, uh, I think two weeks or last week. Was it last week? Anyhow, we've been reading a lot of scriptures where he said, if you... If you say you love me, but you don't love your siblings in Christ, your brother and your sister, say you're a liar. It's not possible. So he says, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers. Notice he didn't say wives <laughs> because you can't have, <laughs> if you get the point, because he said wife in the previous verse, right? Mother or wife or children or lands. Here he's saying, so you can't just go and take your, your sibling's wife. Uh, amen. <laughs> I can't go and take Kelechi's wife. That's not my... But the point is, you will have um, the kind of family. So now you have more brothers, you have more sisters, you have more mothers, you have people that basically will care for you. That's what he's saying. But also, and he says lands, lands, and he says with persecution. And then in the age to come, eternal life. That's so profound. That's so profound. Imagine, I, I mean, I heard this story, I think it was in the book I read, about a Muslim girl who came to uh, put her faith in Jesus Christ. And the father heard about it. And the father wanted to kill her because in, in Islam, if you convert out of Islam, in fact, the idea of Islam is you're born a Muslim. So if you convert outside of Islam or you convert to Christianity, that's, that's apostasy in, in Islam. But this girl put her faith in Jesus Christ and she ran out of the house. I mean, first of all, the father heard, found out, saw some materials that were Christian related. And he said, ah, are you a Christian? And she's like, yeah, she didn't want to deny it. And um, he wanted to kill her. He basically wanted to kill her. She escaped. She ran out and she came to a church. The pastor saw her. This girl, they gave her a house. They took her in. She had a new family. This is exactly what this is talking about. You leave all that you have to follow Christ and you will be sure of a family. Praise God. But a huge implication of everything we're saying. Yeah, hey, I think it's God's Not Dead. It's a similar story uh, to the one in God's Not Dead. Uh, the, the book, I think, it's, is it the case for Christ? Or Who has read I Dare to Call Him Father? That's another beautiful book. Oh, 
Okay, let's not go off topic. But that's what the scripture here is saying. That's what the scripture here is saying. Um, and I want to now show you the last thing. And this is where we're coming to a conclusion. You know, God has given me a... Um, an instruction. And that instruction is to help us grow in sanctification. All right. And the more we stay isolated in our Christian faith, the more we think this is just a journey that is just mine. We're going to struggle. We're going to be consistently failing many, many times because God's tool for our sanctification is the church of Christ. God's tool is the body of Christ, is the family of Christ. And so because we understand the importance of God being our father and that because he's our father by extension, we now have a family of other believers. It means that there are certain things that should be normal for us to do because we understand that we've all been saved the same way. It's a common salvation. None of us is better than the other. We might have moments of failings and weaknesses while others are having their beautiful, strongest times of spiritual um, energy and excitement. We're not always at the same point. We're, we're all horizontally, um, vertically saved, right? But horizontally, we, we might differ in our levels of sanctification. And God wants us to be accountable and vulnerable, daring to trust. Daring to put our confidence in another person. Being able to be open as you would to a, a true family member. Some of you cannot tell your siblings certain things you're going through. Or certain things that have just been a stumbling block for you. But God is saying, hey, I have saved you. So first of all, all guilt is gone. You are forgiven of your sins. I have purified you have taken you to become my own child in god's eyes he sees you as holy righteous blameless and heaven bound so the whole idea of i'm trying to make heaven i'm trying to work for heaven he has removed you by calling you a citizen of heaven what does that mean here because god has also called you to live a life that is blameless and holy and righteous in his sight what does that mean it means that you will have to partner up with people of the same faith of the same belief and be vulnerable with them. Be open with them. You know, tell a brother. I have brothers that I just, you know, open up to and I say, ah, man, I've, I've fallen again. This is something I did today. Um, and I need you to pray for me. I can do that. Why? Because I understand if I'm in a family of believers that have all been saved the same way. Same common salvation. And so I want to leave us with two important texts. As we close today. Alright. Pay attention. And please. This is this is my call to say. Hey. Don't, don't hold things inside. That's not God's idea. God doesn't want you to suffer in silence. That thing that God wants to accomplish in your life. That victory that you've been praying for. Whether it is sexual immorality. Whether it is anger issues. Maybe unforgiveness. Whatever it is. God is wants to set you free from that and he's going to use the agency of accountability and vulnerability to do it and i'll show you that this is very scriptural all right so let's go to galatians chapter 6 from verse 1 and i need someone to read this for me galatians chapter 6 from verse 1 
Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest considering yourself lest you also be tempted. That's so that's so important. And you see how this text can almost not be accomplished in some churches today. Because I mean, who you don't know anybody. <laughs> so you, you can't believe really would do it. And so like and and I'm sure you know that the church goes beyond the building. Amen. So right now we might be a small group here, but we are the family of God. The church church just simply means called out ones. The ones that have been called out to the faith, people who have put their trust in Jesus. We're the church. So no matter where I go, I will always have family members. That's the church. It's not the building. So right now in in a sense we are the church here gathered on this Zoom call. And on Mixelar. All right. But he says, if any man, or like I said, brothers and sisters, in fact, let me even show you in the NLT. He says, dear brothers and sisters, if any, if another believer is overcome by some sin, see the term used. So if someone in the faith that's your brother or your sister is overcome in a fault, so they have a particular thing they've done, either to, I mean, wrongs to someone else or against their own body. The Bible talks about that in First Corinthians 6. You can sin against your own body. If they do this, it says you who are godly, and the term there is just saying, at that point, you are in a place of non-condemned heart. Let me, how can I explain this? I'll explain it to you in that text. But you are not going through that issue at the time or you're not, you're already like, this is not an issue for you. That's what it would mean when it says you who are spiritual. It says you who are spiritual or who you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. It says, and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. You see, so even though you are that person who, for example, God has set you free, you know, a practical example, you've been addicted to pornography for a very long time and you've experienced so much victory and then someone else comes to you and, and you know, is honest with you and says, hey, I'm struggling with this. The, the scripture is saying, hey, guide that person back with the word, with prayer, bring that person. But he says, hey, be careful yourself not to fall into that same temptation. All right. That's just an example. It could be anything. But just see what um, the, the, uh, the, 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 um, Paul is saying here to the Galatian church. Look at verse 2. Share each other's burdens. Ah, this is God's call. If you've not been experiencing this, then we're not fulfilling all of Scripture. We're supposed to share burdens. If the only thing I pray about is my life, I'm not a, I'm not doing the will of God. I should be able to pray with people. I mean, I have a brother on this call here that will just call me out of the blues. Ernest, are you free? Let's pray. That's what we're talking about. A family where we can share things with each other. We can grow together. We can carry each other's burdens as though it were mine. He says you obey the law of Christ by doing this. That's so profound. And then the last verse for tonight hopefully <laughs> james 5 from verse 16 if you read the book of james you already know what this is but many people don't understand this verse and i'm going to try to explain it in the context and then also there is because in this in this case you can take there are two meanings to it all right and i know i've said there's always only one meaning 
to a text, but you would see what I mean. In this in this case, there are two meanings. There's the immediate meaning, and there's the generic meaning because of the next text that he uses to back up this point. So let me go go to it straight uh, real quick. It says, "Confess your sins to each other." Did you know you can you should do that? Some of you have never seen this before, but it's the Bible, you know. And then there are groups of people that are so fond of saying, you know, we can't sin. I don't know which Bible they are reading. Um, I'm sorry, because the scriptures teach, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So um, Christians do sin. We shouldn't sin. We shouldn't. We have a seed in us that keeps us from continually practicing sin. But if you do sin as an advocate, but then there's another truth. Apart from the fact that vertically we have forgiveness already through the blood of Jesus Christ, there is horizontal healing available for you. Horizontal deliverance, horizontal help. This is where a lot of Christians don't get it. You're fighting things, fighting things, fighting things and always failing because you're not seeing the importance of accountability, honesty, vulnerability. You can't trust anyone. That's not the, that's not what it's supposed to be. He says, confess your sins one to another. So I should be able to come to a friend and say, hey, I've done this wrong. I know that I'm forgiven because God is my father and he has promised through his son. To, the blood that Jesus shed has atoned for my sins. I understand that. It's not affecting my salvation, but it's definitely affecting how I view my prayer. In fact, let me prove this to you. I know I said this would be the last text, but I'll come back here because I need to explain this point. First John, first John, uh, and I'll do it real quick. First John chapter three from verse, um, yeah, from verse 18. I'm going to read it real quick, but I, I want you to get, there's something I need you to get here. It says, my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this, we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. So there's something called the assurance of your heart. If our hearts condemn us, so if your heart is condemning you, what does John say? He says, God is greater than your heart and he knows all things. Meaning the fact that your heart is condemning you doesn't mean that God is not above your heart. God is still above your heart. God is still going to hear you. That's not an issue for you as a child of God. But it will affect you. Don't, don't, don't miss the point. Because the next verse tells us that if our hearts do not condemn us. So this is in context a righteous person or someone who is spiritual. You see what I mean? So someone who is spiritual, who is godly at the, at the moment and is, is flourishing in, in sanctification. Because they're also obeying the same principles of, you know, being vulnerable, trusting God, and allowing the Holy Spirit to, by through the Spirit, mortify the deeds of the body. It says, if our hearts con do not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him. So there is, that means your prayers can be so affected by what you think. Do you know, <laughs> you read the book of James. If you, if you pray, there's a way you pray. That your, your, your prayers will be answered. Because if you vacillate, if you change, if you're constantly changing because of guilt, doubt, condemnation, your prayers will be affected. And that's why James tells us the prayer of a righteous man avails much. That's the context. Um, but let's look at this real quick. So 
He says, we ask whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. All right, so now when we go back to James chapter 5, from verse 16, what do we see? Confess your faults and trespasses one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. God wants us to be healed. So when we talk to one another and say, this is what I'm going through, this is where I need help in, we pray for one another. And then he tells us the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So the immediate context is someone who is spiritual prays for you, not takes your matter to gossip about it or tell other people. No, you're righteous. You take that thing in the place of prayer. You fight through it. You, you stay with this person. The person is accountable to you, vulnerable with you. But as a brother and a sister in Christ, you shield them. You keep them. You protect them. You strengthen them. And this is what glorifies God. Hallelujah. Praise God. So that's just what I wanted to share with you today. And I want us to just bow our heads as we pray right now. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your truth. Daddy, we love you. Thank you because we're a part of your family. We belong to you. And Lord, I just pray right now for everyone that has heard these words. These are your counsels. These are your words that we should be accountable and vulnerable in the faith and see help, receive help. And Lord, we do that right now as a family. As a family, we commit ourselves to you. We ask that even this bond will be stronger. We would see, our eyes will be enlightened to see what you've called us to, the hope of our calling. Thank you, precious Father. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this recording. We hope this session was a blessing to you as it was for us. If you'd like to be an active part of Bible Marathon, Maybe join in live on our Sunday sessions, be part of the WhatsApp group, or would just like to know more about the Bible Marathon Project. Visit our website, bit.ly slash bmglive4 for more details. That's bit.ly slash bmglive4 for more details. We pray you stay blessed, experiencing progress and joy in your faith.